welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. On today's episode, we're really excited to talk with Brad Dixon, head football coach, head boys track coach, strength and conditioning coordinator, and physical education teacher at Camp Point Central High School in West Central Illinois. He has coached football for the last 16 years, including the last eight years as head football coach at Camp Point Central. In his time as head coach, the Panthers have won five conference championships, made eight straight IHSA playoff appearances, and in 2018, placed second in state. And with that, let's get into the episode. When when was it? Like, how did you find the humility to eventually say, okay, what's important is not that this guy squats 500 pounds, but that he plays football better. How did, how did, how did that shift for you? Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a multitude of things. Um, so when I got down to, um, camp point in 2007, um, I think they'd only had one winning season, um, in the 50 years, uh, or at least one playoff appearance in the 50 years. I should say it's central high school in camp yeah. point, right? Okay. Uh, it's actually in the country. It's camp point golden. It's a whole bunch of towns that make up right. One rural school, so yeah, our, our field was like right in the middle of cornfields, which is kind of cool. Um, but um, they hadn't had much success, and so uh, I was an assistant for I think the first four years. We went, I think they were one and eight the year before. We went three and six, five and five, uh, seven and three, eight, and then it was finally eight and three. Won our first playoff game, and then we went ten and one, and then it was uh, twelve and one, eleven and one, eleven and two, and. Wow. And then, like, so that was up to 2014, and I took over in 2011. And, and so it's like, hey, the things are working well. And then um, we graduated a big group of seniors, so we had a ton of injuries. We had multiple season-ending injuries, and we, we snuck in the playoffs and got beat bad by Tuscola. We went 5-5. Five and five. And then we were back in that 7-3, and 8-3 and three stuff, which isn't bad, but that's not what we wanted. And so we kind of needed a spark, and at that same time, we'd implemented this um, in-season or sorry, curriculum-based athletic PE. And I started coaching track. So like my whole, my mindset shifted way more outside of just the football realm of things to speed, power development. Okay. I now I have a lot of girls in the weight room, you know, and so I've got to try to mesh all this. And so, you know, that started probably in 2016, 17 ish. And then, just over time trying to figure out, okay, how can we do what's best for everybody here and not think of it from a a football perspective. And then, you know, as I started to see kids train during their seasons, because I mean, our, our in season work was essentially if the coach trained after school as part of the practice, or like if they came in at six 30 in the morning, which is not good, obviously, you know, if the kids are, doing all these other things. So we, we didn't have much consistency. So finally I was able to see what that looked like over a year or two mixed with them trying to play sports. And, and so this has all been a work in progress on trying to figure out, you know, what do I need to do in my class that helps to supplement what they're doing in their practice and, and helps them to continue to progress while we keep them healthy and then do our best to try to make them more explosive and, and stronger. And, and so it's, it's still a work in progress, but we're a lot better off than we are. And, and then, like I said, over that same amount of time, I, I've been able to create a lot better relationships because there's just more time in a setting of a weight room or while you're resting after sprinting and things like that to have those conversations that sometimes when, when you're jamming curriculum down their throat in a math class or social studies or English, 
it's hard to have those conversations sometimes. And so, um, you know, I, it, it's been a lot better on the human, you know, like you said, the humanity side of things to uh, treat them as human beings and not just as, you know, uh, just little weight room warriors, I guess. That's right. And there's something too. Yeah. It's so interesting that you mentioned that because I think there is something so, um, we are of the belief that you measure things in pretty much only two ways. It's, it's results and relationships is, you know, it's, it's all, it's a heuristic based on those two things. Uh, if you have, if your outcomes start to improve and your relationships start to improve, you're on a, probably a solid course. But if one of those falls off significantly, there's room to like double back and, and yeah. reconsider. And I think the weight room might provide just such a unique place for that. Cause you know what it's like. I mean, on the football field, you can make incredible relationships on the football field. Some of the best that I have in my life came there, whether it was peer to peer or even some you know, mentor uh, from coaches, but there's something just a little different, maybe slower, maybe more like physical space in the weight room that, that can't be replicated, whether it's in the classroom or on the field or, or uh, anywhere else. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, I, I think kids embrace some of the hard work sometimes in the weight room more than they do like in math. You know, I know me personally, and I was a pretty good student, but I'd much rather struggle and, you know, work to break through plateaus in the weight room right. than I would struggle trying to learn a calculus concept or something like that. So I right. think for a lot of kids, and not everyone, but for a lot of them, they, they kind of embrace that idea because I think they can kind of feel it. They can feel themselves get stronger. Um, sometimes when you, when you get a new, you understand pronouns better or con, you right. know, subject verb agreements. And it's not like, wow, I feel no, but like when you, you play better and you jump higher, now you can grab the rim and you know, some of these other things that happen, um, it kind of creates that dopamine effect, I think, and kids kind of want more and more of it. And then, you know, they, once they start improving, they start thinking that, you know, you've got some magic pill or something and, and, and you get some credibility when, you know, they feel good, you have their relationships, they're not injured, they're having more success in their sport. And that's my ultimate goal in all sports. I, I don't coach basketball anymore, but, but I, you know, tell multiple kids, I, I want you guys to be able to dunk it, you know, by next year or whatever. Um, and we're going to do what we can to do that. I don't, I coach track, but I've got a great relationship with the baseball coach so, you know, it's like, hey, guys, let me know how you feel. Let me know when you're pitching next. You know, if you pitched last night, how's your arm feel? You know, I'm always asking those questions. And I, I think as coaches, a lot of times we don't ask those questions. We just expect, hey, this is Tuesday. This is what we do on Tuesdays. You guys right. are going to suck it up and do it. And, and I think sometimes at the classroom, if we were a little bit more lenient on how we would get to certain places too, I think we could see a lot more of that. But like I said, everything is so driven by this is what we got to know for this test. Sometimes it forces our hand in those curriculum areas like that, that we can't have some of those conversations or we can't have some of that flexibility because it's so rigid. Whereas the weight room, yes, we've got standards and things and things that we expect to do, but there seems to be a lot more uh, of that flexibility on how you're going to get there and then what each day looks like. And I think that that's what really helps you solidify those relationships and I think when we started we had two classes and we had 45 uh, ish or whatever I can't remember the exact number in in four years we've doubled that and now we have four classes and hopefully you know we can get to where we've got pretty much every athlete that doesn't have some type of academic conflict uh, in those classes I, I think it's amazing and you um, 
it's such an empowering thing if you do it right. You know, strength and conditioning. Like I've I've found this. I think if you're doing it well and testing, it sounds like you guys are testing fairly often, not in any absurd way, but you're you're keeping track of what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Um, you can like there are there's such a clean line between where you are uh, or where you were three months ago and where you are now. Whether that ever pans out into you actually dunking or starting for a team, or right. it may not result in any stat on the field, but you can show these kids how they've grown over time, and 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 then remind them that like, like okay, we guided you, but you for, you did that, right? And what an empowering thing that is for an adolescent. Yeah, I think you know one of my mentors, Tony Holler, um, the track coach at Plainfield, he calls it record, rank, and publish, and. Uh, if you're not, it's it's easy for kids to get upset in the short term because sometimes it takes weeks, months. You know, you, you may be like, you know, it might be sprint data or squat or whatever the scenario is, and they feel like they just kind of been at the same. And I say, well, let's go back last year at this time. You know, last year at this time you were running uh, five six, and now you're running five one. So I know you went five one for you know two or three weeks in a row, and you're you're really wanting to break into fours, but you were on a 5.6 at this point last year. And then right. if we go back to your freshman year, you started at a 6.2 in the 40. You know, right. and then the kids are like, oh, hey. and next thing you know, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm doing all right. But if I don't ever record that data over time mm-hmm. and we focus only on what's happening at that moment, um, kids can get kind of discouraged. So I always try to keep that in perspective and, and have that data available. I guess things do happen. Sometimes, you know, a, a kid will – get hurt, he'll roll his ankle. Um, you know, we had a broken hand um, in football this year. And mm-hmm. so then they have to kind of start back over maybe from where they were. Coach, I remember I was doing this. Well, hey, you're still ahead of where you were your freshman year. So right. it, we're not all the way back to square one, and it'll come back. But, you know, and, and so we try to do that. And then, um, you know, kids are competitive. So we'll post, you know, who, who who's in some of these things. We don't – we don't do it as much in the weight room anymore. We do have a strength board, um, but but uh, we definitely do in the the running and the jumping because that's how you really get kids to uh, push themselves in those things. I, I feel like the weight room sometimes takes care of itself when you when you're in groups of three and such, and you guys are training with each other. Um, but sometimes when you're running a forty, if there's no uh, if there's not, if it's not being timed and such, then, you know, you're probably not going to get your kids best because they're just going to run to run. Uh, we try yeah. to get our kids to run to, um, you know, show improvement and, and everyone's always chasing a better time or they're, you know, the kids are competing with each other. As soon as we get done, like, where's your time? Where's your time? And it's right. like, how much of that stuff happens if you go out and run, you know, four laps around the track, you know, who, when you're running your mile running PE is asking the other kid, you know, all excited. Right. Where's your time? You know, so um, that's what I like about the sprint metric. And then, um, like I said, we started measuring like uh, broad jumps over six jumps. You know, how far can you go in six jumps, which makes kids really push it or uh, Mm -hmm. um, bounding for six jumps. And we've always done the vertical. Um, I do like the vertical, too, as a a tool of, uh, you know, where you're at in, um, in your neurology. So like after after a game, you know, what's your recovery like if you're normally a 26 foot vertical jumper on the vertimax or the um, the just jump mat and today you're like at 22 you're not you know very recovered and so mm-hmm. um how do you, how do you guys do that, that? i want to do that more is so um 
like if I get a baseline, if I know baseline that you know they're around a twenty six, and but you, you have like a vertex, do you have like or no. So we've got what's called a just jump mat. Have you heard? Oh, of one gotcha. of those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just we just got it. So uh, we just got it like earlier this spring or at the end of winter. So I haven't got a chance to use a ton of it. Um, but we had the, just the tape on the wall, which is fine. But when we're actually trying to measure something and see improvement, I mean, there's a lot of margin for error. Um, on sure. that just jump mat, whether it truly is a 26 inch vertical, that doesn't matter to me. You know, what matters right. to me is that we do it consistent every time so I can see where they're at. Um, but I know like a lot of basketball coaches have used it. You know, let's say they've, they've had a turn, they played Monday and Tuesday. Well, what should I do on Wednesday? Well, let's jump them. Let's put them on this mat and see where they're at. And if they're all way, way below, then this probably needs to be a walkthrough, a shooting, some type of practice like that, as opposed to, you know, we, we, we didn't play well on Tuesday. So we're going to, you know, we're going to run them today because we didn't do this. And, and that, you know, so it gives you some metrics and figuring out, you know, where your kids are. Football, we try to do enough anyway, like day off, Sunday off, uh, and Monday, just sprint work that uh, by Tuesday we're pretty recovered um, as it is. But some, in, in those other sports, baseball and basketball, where your schedule's all spread out and you don't have a specific night to play, I think it would definitely be an even better tool there. I, I hope people are hearing this because I think you're exactly right. Football, oftentimes you get the opportunity. There's such structure to the football season that you can be really thoughtful about it. it, it I, I'm concerned that um, – I don't know if concerns the right word, but I think there's definitely a huge opportunity for people who have more sporadic um, uh, gameplay, you know, a game on top of game, double headers, uh, two days in a row. Mm -hmm. You know, we're in Illinois, both of us. And, and if there's a, uh, if there's a rain out on Tuesday and then all of a sudden stuff gets smashed in the back end of the week, that's where some of these uh, can be really, really powerful. Have you heard the name Chris Morris before? Uh Uh-uh. Uh, I'll send you, we, we recorded, uh, when we had coffee the other day. He's a great guy. He's, he's at uh, Kentucky and okay. he's got this idea. Uh, he calls it fluid periodization and it is based on all the things that you're talking about. It's just, it's constantly gathering feedback and he doesn't go overboard with it. Cause right. there's, like we said in the very beginning, there's this limit of, there's this limit of like how much text should you use? Like how much, how much more valuable could this additional feedback be limits there? Of course. But I like what you've got. Just like, just jump them. <clears throat> just jump them and talk to them. That, that yeah. enough could give you a ton of feedback. <clears throat> um, there's other things out there like force plates that, mm-hmm. uh, um, I mean, they're pretty, like, and not like the plates that you think. These are, uh, and um, so essentially you've got something at the end and then something at the other end, and then it shoots whatever it does on the ground. So they're not actually landing on a plate. They're landing on the ground, but in between these two, you know, I don't even know what they are. It'll measure your force. So that could be another way if, if you're if you're trying to figure out, you know, where these kids are. Um, because I think one of the biggest issues I know we had, like my first year as a head coach in 2011, we probably had the best team we ever had. But we also played the toughest schedule. We were playing uh, Spring Valley Hall in Princeton, schools up your way, Mendota. We were, we were a 1A school co-oping with a few kids that made us 2A. And then we were playing a, essentially a three A schedule, and so mm-hmm. we, we we made it through a nine and zero, but we made it through beat to heck. And so when we got in the second round of the playoffs, and we played another uh, at that time ten and zero team. Um, we lost to them on the last play of overtime, but but our guys were a mere shell of what they would have been if we would have taken into account the recovery. 
because we may play a, a tough game because we were playing on Saturdays at that point um, because our games were so far away just the way a conference was set up. And let's say we went to Mendota and we beat them like 21 to 18. And, I mean, their guys are carrying their arms through. And our, our all-state middle linebacker fullback had bruised ribs and our wingback had a rolled ankle. And we went right back into Monday with everybody. You know, I'm sure those guys – did what they could, but we conditioned the heck out of them. Then we put full pads back on them on Tuesday and on Wednesday. And it's like, we just continued down this path of regression because we, we never took into account where they were in terms of recovery. So, you know, who knows at what percentage we took the field in those games as the season went on. And I wish we would have had a, a mentality, like you said, you know, this has all been a process um, that we have now because we, we would have backed off of them because they were really good and really talented. Um, yeah. they, didn't, they didn't need grinder practices, especially at that point. They mm -hmm. needed things to continue to stay sharp and be healthy so that they could go out and perform. And as coaches, we were putting them in a worse situation because we were continuing to pound on them in practice, full pads, you know, two hours, two hours and 15 minutes when the gameplay was already at, an, at such an intense level that right. they needed some more recovery time. And we were – you know, now our focus is for, you know, for Friday night. It's not for right. Wednesday and Tuesday. We want Tuesday and Wednesday to help us for Friday, not Tuesday and Wednesday to be these Bearcats in and themselves. And, and so that it's taken us a while to do that. Um, and I often get asked, you know, like how I would try to do wrestling or, or, uh, or some of these other sports basketball. And yeah. I think you have to think in that same way. Um, you know, you, you have to have bouts of intensity with bouts of recovery. Um, and, those don't have to be bouts of doing nothing. And, and so like what we try to do throughout our practices or, or throughout our weeks is if we've got a period of intensity, then we're going to follow that up with a period of uh, drill work or, uh, you know, teaching time. Sure. So, you know, if you're going to do 10 minutes of, of uh, hardcore, you know, one on two wrestling where guys are rotating in, then you better come back with a period where they've got a chance to recover. Same thing. If you had a, a tough, tough match duel on Tuesday night, you better come back on Wednesday with a plan of, you know, mm -hmm. how can I get work in without adding more to what we just did on Tuesday? Because we're not going to be ready for Friday's big tournament invitational. If we, if we make Wednesday, Thursday, super tough, and then expect yeah. them to be at their best on Friday. It's so true. It's like more is not always better. Um, I think that's what uh, more and more people you know, we do, um, I don't know how much you know about the, the work we do with the project, but a lot of what we do on the nonprofit consultation side, it's a lot of just evaluation. We have a very core mantra and we ask people a simple question. Does your behavior match your goal? And it, it, you'd be amazed at how, how upset that makes people. And, you know, and we're on the side of coaches. We're working with people, the people who bring us in, they get to a better place at the back end. Eventually their behavior does map onto their goal. But having to confront that, that question is a very difficult one. And I'll tell you, we're lucky. It's not just uh, like high school coaches or, or even college coaches. We've, we've had the privilege of working with some pretty high caliber folks, professional Olympic people in business. And it, it's just like humanity. We forget to come back to that idea. I, yeah. I, and I'll give you an example from, from my career uh, very briefly. I remember being in high school and we were good. Okay, and I'm not taking a shot at anyone. You know, I, I'm super grateful for my experience and for my coaches. Uh, we were good, and I remember <clears throat> there's this line. It, it, it's, it's so funny. We come back to this idea over and over, this threshold concept. There's a threshold. There's a line beyond which 
more doesn't necessarily make you tougher. It right. just might get you hurt. You know, like you're, yeah. you're tough enough. And, and, I, and I, I'm telling you, dude, especially early in the season, there were games where I know that myself and my teammates, we were willing to go as far as we could. Like, like I, they, our coaches did a nice job in that sense. Like if we cared about each other. We would have gone through a freaking wall mm-hmm. if that's what it took. But we had no legs under us and sometimes couldn't. And that's yeah. sort of a, a strange and helpful, helpless place to be. Like you get off the bus on a Friday night, dragging your freaking legs to the, to the party. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, how much you're willing to give relative to how much you have to give. That's an important dynamic. Right. And then, and then, so what usually happens if you don't play well, <clears throat> because you physically can't, then you yes. double down again the next week. And we used to do it too, because, Hey, we, we're not tough enough. So we're going to make practices twice as hard as we did last week. Cause we weren't ready to play. Well then guess what? That, that vicious cycle. And I think it was, uh, you know, the bears head coach, I think he had that comment. A lot of times people, when they get in these losing streaks, um, it's because we just keep doubling down and tripling down on things instead of just saying, Hey, maybe let's try the approach of doing a little bit less. However, yeah. that's not how we're wired, especially yeah. as football coaches. Yeah. We're yeah. not wired to do less. And if we're not winning, we actually start to do less Then we appear lazy or we appear disinterested. Hmm. And no coach wants that mantra to say, Hey, you know, look at them down the street. They're only practicing an hour and 45 minutes. You know, when, hey, down the street, they've got, you know, eight guys standing next to them on the sideline injured, you know, but they're going with that next man up mentality. And it's like, what would you rather want? I would rather have my full team ready to play than to have, you know, eight guys sitting out or five guys sitting out because of of the fact that we've been taking people down in practice or, you know, we've been just continuing to, yeah, crush them, crush them. And we've done that. And and since we've kind of changed our approach – um, our injuries, we haven't lost anyone for the season over the last couple of years. And we've huh. had a few just crazy, we've had two broken hands, which is weird. Um, but we haven't had ACLs. We haven't had Achilles. We haven't had, uh, labrums, any of that type of stuff that we were dealing with, uh, which uh, it all can happen. N- nothing, sure. right. but when you take the opportunity for injury, um, and you reduce how many chances there are during practice, um, uh, mm-hmm. that's going to help you stay healthy. Then if you think about it, you know, I don't know what studies have been done, but these big time injuries, how many of them happen when you're in a state of fatigue of some shape or form? Like at the end of a practice, after you've went two hours and now you're in your last team offensive session and somebody's ACL gets rolled up on or whatever the scenario is, you know, and and if we can eliminate that or not eliminate it, but if we can try to reduce that. And And I see college programs and NFL teams that have, injury reports and I understand there's a lot of things involved but it's like I, I would love to know you know what what do their practices look like and, and what are they doing that their injury report is is uh, you know double it's, it's what it is right, right, right. other people and and I think people need to take that into account and a lot of times the easy answer is to say well kids are just not not as tough as they used to be right well, <laughs> oh totally don't get me started on that. We, we, that's, uh, I, I just want to give you a little bit. One of the studies, Brian Mann, down, he's down in Miami now. Uh, he, he tracked his kids. There's a study out there. And this isn't even physical. This is uh, primarily psychological, how much you're recovering, how much you're sleeping, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I, physiological, and there's sort of a combination there. But his kids were three times more likely to get hurt during uh, midterms and finals. 
So just take that as, as yeah. an idea. Like, mm-hmm. like you're overstressed, you're, you're under, under rested, all these things, and, and you're just a little bit off um, and more likely to get hurt. I mean, it's there. It's clear. It's happening. Yeah. And, and people, people miss out on that neurological part of, of the body, um, the brain. And, and that's the, the RPR stuff that I've been able to, to be a part of over the last few years, I guess. It's really taught me that, yes, you have a hamstring. Yes, the muscle needs to be strong. There's a muscular side of it, but there's also a neurological side of it. Um, the brain could use a compensation instead of your hamstrings and use your QL or could use, you know, whatever the scenario is. And um, we've got to make sure that <clears throat> we keep the neurological side of things in line and your body working correctly and the more stress you add to it, uh, the more fight or flight it gets, and the more your body gets to the point where um, you know it's going to kind of hone everything in because the body is worried that something really bad is going to happen. So it starts saving you know some of your major muscle groups, your psoas, your glutes, and those things for that really bad thing that it thinks is happening. Mm-hmm. And then that's when a lot of these other injuries start to happen because you know our body is in this compensation pattern instead of in a performance mode, because our, our body doesn't understand a football game versus uh, a grizzly bear chasing us. You know, no. our brain just understands that there's some type of stress in our life, and we've got to be ready to handle that stress whenever that comes. And, and so it, it, it doesn't matter about a Friday night football game. It just, right. it just knows that, hey, we're, we're in a fight or flight mode. And so I think that's where, where the RPRs really helped me kind of understand that there is a neurological side to the training part um, and to injury prevention and things like that. And it's not just how many Nordic curls we can do for our hamstrings and things like that. Right. Well, it's, it, it's uh, before we go into the RPR stuff, because there's so much to dig into there, you keep bringing up good points that I want to dig into. I've, I've also, I want to talk about something I've heard you talk about before, which is you said, I want my whole team ready. And that reminded me of, of the depth that you all try to create. Are, are you still doing that practice? I, I heard once you do this sort of this off-season uh, practice where you get everyone by a board and you try to name your ideal 22. And yeah, we actually, <clears throat> well, we, ha- <clears throat> we actually just, um, normally we would do it when the clinic season rolls around, but we, we uh, lost out on our Illinois clinic. And then we were actually, this past weekend, we were supposed to be at the University of Wisconsin. Um, so we usually take one of those days when we get everyone together and we, and we create it. Um, but over the last year or so, we, two years, maybe we've, we've transitioned that to Google drive. So just last week, I think I sent out, um, on our Google document, um, the ideal depth chart. And then I tagged the coaches names in a tab at the bottom. And I said, Hey, don't look at anybody else's fill yours out, uh, with the goal of trying to play as many guys as you can within reason. Um, and so, and one coach even took it a next step. He goes, here, here's what I think it should be, but here's my ideal. And so we get different guys thinking about, um, you know, who can play because like I, in my mind, you know, I coach quarterbacks, uh, linebackers, and I call the defense and the special teams. So I'm not with the O lineman every day. So I, I may only think that this guy can play tackle or whatever, but you get like the O-lineman's coach's perspective or the D-line coach's perspective and all these different people, they start putting different people in different positions and they'll say, oh, I never thought about him at guard. I never thought about him here or whatever. And it it gets you to think outside the box. So like, um, you know, we had a a big six foot, 350 pound nose tackle that's going to go division two to QU. Um, 
And then we had a, a 6'3", 245-pound D tackle that, um, that we really wanted to play on one side of the ball, even at our small school level uh, for the yeah. most part. So we had to get super creative because we had some, some um, I guess, off-the-field things our first three weeks with some guys being out. So our first offensive line that we played the first three weeks um, went one like 140 at tight end, 140 at left tackle, 145 at left guard. And, you know, so w- we made it work. We Now we rotated those other guys in, but we found ways to get other guys on the field. Now it changed so how we had to call it. What, what was our first play call of the year? We ran a jet sweep to the edge. And it, if we blocked the middle linebacker, it's gone. You know, we weren't going to go foot to foot and try to run wedge with 140 pound linemen. So, right. but we had fast dudes. So, um, you know, we ended up winning all three of those games, and we wow. didn't have any, anyone on our offensive line. And, and two of those teams went to the playoffs. One of those, the team we played week one, we were their only loss. Um, you know, and, and then so when we got a few of the other guys back after week three, then that gave us even more depth. Um, and so, uh, we just really focused, especially up front. We can rotate like our running backs. We rotate them all the time. Sure, but, if, but it's hard to rotate. You know, if you've got an O lineman and a D lineman playing both ways, it's hard to rotate those guys in and out. I mean, if they're playing both ways, so we we try to develop a, as much of an offensive line as we can, as much a defensive line, um, and then like I said, we'll rotate those backs through. But but our goal is to have you know no more than five two way guys that we can rotate in and out. And, and in our year that that we went and and got second. I think we had four guys that played both ways and they were all um, skill guys that we rotated out. So, I mean, at the, at the one, a level, we have seven guys going one way, including our entire offensive line. So you talk about, you know, making a huge defensive stand, let's say, you know, in the red zone, their O lines flip flips the D line and we bring on, you know, five new offensive linemen. That's a huge advantage. And, huge. and like it, and, it, and people say, well, we, we can't do that. We don't have that. No one has depth. Colleges, right. you know, Division One colleges don't have depth. The NFL doesn't have depth. You've got to find ways to get creative, you know. And so one thing that, that I picked up at a clinic two years ago, and I've kind of ran with it, is, is we have to figure out what the person can do. You know, we, we focus too much on what they can't do. So it's like, okay, you know, we had that 145-pound, you know, those guys playing on the offensive line. Well, we can't ask them to block one-on-one. If, if Jim Davis is right. playing D-line across from right. him, you know, at two, 220 or whatever you played when you first came to college, he ain't blocking them one-on-one. Two, 240 to me. 240. 240. But guess what? We can probably double him up to the backer or we can <laughs> release inside of him and trap him. You know, we're mm-hmm. not a big read team, but if we were like a midline triple team, we could always read him. Um, or we can just get to the edge on him. Let's just reach him. We can reach him enough to get to the edge. And then we get him running, and then he gets tired because he's playing two ways. Now we might be able to run at him. You know, but we got to figure out how we can use these guys instead of just saying, you know, like you said, you know, if power's my thing, well, power might not be my thing those first three weeks. Mm-hmm. I might have to run play action off. I don't have to do something else a little bit more deceptive because that's just not what I have right now. Or, you know, yes, when these guys are in the game – we're power, but when we sub, we've got to get a little bit more creative because and so and we did it. We 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 didn't have near the depth this year, um, but we were able to create ways that we built depth and and still you know we're able to be successful for the most part. I, I think it's amazing, and it's one of the you say so many things that are uh, exciting to me and that I've shared with people that I've worked with. Um, that's one of the most compelling ones, and and uh, I was so happy to hear you say it. 
And I think I probably said it around the time you say you got second, just so everyone knows that like you guys went to the state championship. You, mm -hmm. you were in, was it in Champaign or was it in DeKalb? It was in Champaign. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys are in the state championship game about to pick up a trophy and, and, and looking at things in a way that I think is really refreshing and needed when you say, you know, cause I'm with you. Everyone's out there saying, well, we don't have depth. Well, of course you don't, if you don't work to build it. Right. Right. No, nobody is just like, has like a stockpile of division mm -hmm. one, athletes and no. um, yeah and so I, I just think it, I, I i think it, i think it's refreshing to hear and let me also throw this out i i, I wonder if you'd agree working in strength and conditioning has caused me to even see that concept more clearly so we uh two years ago team i coached for in my uh day job we had a defensive line we played a three-man front and each one of those guys the, the smallest guy or the shortest guy was six three and the lightest guy was 265 that's a fact. This was absurd. Yeah. Now, that, that, that doesn't just fall into your lap every time. All mm -hmm. three of them are college players. One of them actually right now is the number two recruit in the state. He was playing as a sophomore that year. Um, we, and I'm not outing anything. I'm, you know, I, I, again, I'm very grateful for my job, we just, but we have to be willing to confront these truths. We got to the playoffs, and all three of those guys are going both ways. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, that just from, you mentioned the neurological system, the, the fatigue and the actual muscle belly and fibers and, and the way that this big, these three big, huge vehicles are meant to operate, they just can't, there's not enough gas uh, in the world to keep them going both ways in, in a way that's intense enough to, to, to essentially perform well and finish games. It, it yeah. just, it's an impossibility. Um, you, they were going because they cared. They just could they had, there's no, there's no pop. There's nothing left in right. the engine there. And that and that's why, I mean, I tell people a couple things. I mean, if that was the best way, then college and the NFL would do it. I mean, because those are the best athletes. Those 300-pound right. dudes in the NFL can run sub-5 and 40. If anyone yes. could play both ways and be explosive, it would be them. Um, right. And then the second thing is, is yeah, you, you may have a clear number one fresh at the start of a game and the start of practice. But that, that clarity is not going to be there uh, by the third quarter or by the fourth mm -hmm. quarter. And, and people say, well, we just got to condition more. No, because if you're running gasters and bear crawling, you're doing things at such sub-max that you're actually not even training the system that they're going to need in a game. I, and right. I forget which college team it was that had all the cramping. And their coach just – it happened. It was, it was Florida or South Florida. It was one of those schools I can't even remember mm -hmm. now. But, but he essentially called out all his players in the media and said, well, you know, we're not in shape enough, so we got to start running more. When the reality was is they had never done anything at full speed, so it's that reflex, mm. muscle reflex, so, you know, cramping. People think, well, it's, you know, it's all this dehydration and all this stuff. It's you're making the muscle do something that repeatedly that it hasn't done. And so if you do everything at a sub max, you know, go, go, go 80% in practice. And then you expect yep. them to line up and go at a hundred percent. The body can't respond to that. And so, you know, that was, and they blamed it all on the players. Well, the same thing, you know, if you ask this, this 265 pound guy to play at his best for four quarters, both sides of the ball, um, it's not going to be that great. No. He's going to have to take plays off somewhere. And it's not that he's lazy. It's that he just can't. And so physically just out. Yeah. Hey, here, here's yeah. a series, you know, let's say he's our right tackle. All right. So let's get him out for this series. Let's put this kid in. He's not as good, but I'll tell you what, 
He does a great job on backside reaches. He does a great job pulling. So let's run counter when he's in. Let's not run right at him. Let's run away from him. Or let's go play action because he doesn't pass block too bad. And so, like, we've created, you know, like at our level, when we went <clears throat> to the state championship game, we had we, – we ran, like, nine different running backs. And six of them were, were really, really good. So we had a lot of depth. We could Our playbook was essentially open. Um, this year we had a lot of young – we had two really good wings – we're a three-back double-wing team, and then we had some younger guys that weren't near ready for varsity football. So we had actually had sections in our call sheet. When we had mm-hmm. subs at these wings, here's what they did well. Like, we could throw it to them. We could get them a ball on the edge. They could fake really well. And so we created sections to say, hey, when this guy's in the game, this is what we can run. We already had it built into our game plan as right. opposed to, okay, you know, when, when we're at our best and we have our best dudes in, we're, we're – great at this then we sub out our best wing we sub in a substitute we try to run the same thing and then we get mad because the substitute's not as good but we already know he's not as good right and and so it it is crazy we do this and then we sub him right back out because we can't win with them because and then we bring the other guy right back in when it's like hey let's figure out ways to use them and that so I always challenge coaches find some depth because Alabama doesn't have the same left tackle. You know, if Alabama's playing Georgia, their number one left tackle goes down. Their number two is not the caliber of the guy who's going across from from Georgia right. either. Like everyone has that scenario, no matter what mm-hmm. level you're at. So you got to figure out, you know, what are you going to do? And then the other thing that I'll say is if if you're that, you know, the best 11 play, how hard do the next 11 actually practice? If they know that, hey, the coach is rolling with, these guys, this, these are his guys. But if they know, hey, and we tell our guys, hey, guys, we all play 20. We can play 18 or 20 guys. We're going to play. If you will demonstrate mm-hmm. to us in practice that you can be helpful in some fashion, down blocking, pass setting, uh, run stuffing, rushing the passer, you know, playing coverage, we will use you. And, and it kind of empowers those kids to actually work a little bit harder because they actually see an avenue to get on the field. Whereas, you know, if they're not as good as Johnny and they know they're going to be behind him all year, it's kind of like, you know, some kids are still going to work hard. Don't get me wrong. But there's some kids that aren't going to work quite as hard as they would if they actually believed they had a chance to play on Friday night and not just no when so-and-so gets hurt. No doubt. And I wonder if uh, that Brian Mann concept is reminding me of something. So I'm picturing like the ebbs and flows of a season I'm just a hypothetical kid. I see the writing on the wall by week four. You're telling me, coach, be a monster on, you know, on scout team. Uh, I've never seen the field on a, unless it's garbage time on a Friday night. I get it. I'm still in. I'm trying. Fine. And so you sort of max that out as much as you can. Okay, well, the midterms and stuff come around and finals. Like that kid is now forced between that kid's now exhausted. He's got all these other injury risks that we talk about. Uh How good could your scout team possibly be at that point in the season? Now, then you ask the question so, how good could your exhausted first team then be going against a, a, a a scout team that's not going at full speed. You imagine, you mentioned, I don't know what the term you used before, but like sort of these cycles, these degrading cycles uh, that, that move over the course of the season. It really, when you start to dig into it, it's really not all that surprising. No, it's not. But I mean, it's, it's something that we didn't think about for the longest time. And, and we've sure. been pretty, pretty good with numbers, but like, you know, people are having numbers issues. Um, and they say, well, we don't have depth. It might be because you're literally only playing 11 guys. So why am I going to go out? Why am I going to buy into your offseason, <clears throat> do all this stuff in the summer, 
do everything in practice, never even get a chance to play, um, and then all of a sudden do it again the next year if I didn't have a good experience. But it, but if I know, and like and like I said, we tell our kids, like we're not get we're not just handing out spots. I mean, if we have to, we're gonna the guys but here's the deal right and, and like we'll just have a real conversation um so like here's a great example so we, we're losing our big we lost our big six foot 350 pound nose tackle so we were in the playoffs and it was like team offense and so I, i'm not in charge of team offense and our, our it was during the playoffs so then our uh d-line or other guy was running the scout so i just happened to have one of our our big freshman d tackles um that's going to be a sophomore coming back i said hey I go, you know, our two big guys are graduating. I said, those guys are graduating. I said, uh, look around, you know, who, who do you think's maybe the next in line? And he was kind of like, this could be me. I'm like, yeah, like I, you're only going to be a sophomore, but like, understand that this whole off season, you need to think, Hey, I want to get on the field because I have the size and can have the ability if I work hard to be in that spot. And so just that little conversation. And then like all off seasons, like, you know, he's worked his butt off and we'll find a way to use them. I don't know if he'll start. I don't know if he'll play half the game. But but he is now empowered to believe as a incoming sophomore that he has a chance mm-hmm. to play on the varsity level. And if he works hard, we will find a way to play him in right. some fashion. You know, we're not done. We're not going to play twenty kids if ten of them are going to get hurt out there or going to get somebody else hurt. I mean, mm-hmm. but the more you empower other kids to see that they have a chance to play, the more you'll probably get out to come out for your team and the, the better the experience they're going to have and the more healthy you're going to stay and, and so forth. And then at the end of the day, you just got to accept the results. You know, you have what you have right like now. Some years, do we have teams that can play for a state championship? Yes. So, is that every year? No, we've went to one state championship in, you know, seven years of central high football, you know, but consistently year in and year out, we're going to win 10 games and, and, you know, we're going to play hard and teams know that when they show up, they're going to have to play very well is we're going to and and it, like this at year, least we, competing we for a conference championship every year is that yeah yeah at, yeah yeah every year you know we've won I think we went we won six and in, in uh, the 10 years the last 10 years and I think we finished second in those other years and uh you know so we, we've been able to stay consistent because we've we've built that depth and we've we've got good numbers out for a small school um you know I'm hoping to be in the mid-50s again this year for a, a 1a school and um you know our kids feel like, hey, coaches care about us now because they're not just burying us into the ground, um, you know, and we're still a work in progress on figuring out, you know, our offense coordinator sent me a, 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 a cool little practice thing that, that we want to try this year um, to help kind of do that game speed transition thing when we were talking about that. And we're always making changes. Um, we're always a work in progress. I think um, if your principles are sound in terms of, you know, we, we want to encourage kids to, to – work hard. We want to encourage them to uh, do everything they can to get on the field. We're going to try to play them as much as we can. We're going to teach them the fundamentals. We're going to find ways to use them, you know, then you can tweak your scheme. You can tweak your practice schedule. You can tweak all these other things to make that uh, useful. But that's kind of our, our parameters is we're, we're trying to play as many guys every Friday night as we possibly can. I love that idea, man. And, and, and just the depth thing, you, you like, nobody's got it. You build it. And then also you retain it. That's such an interesting thing to think because what a, you know, we talk about uh, character concepts like grit and resilience and delay of gratification and things like that. Like if coaches utilize those as well, that's important. It's not all grit. The delay of gratification, if you've got a, 
if you've got to sort of take it one year, you know, maybe, maybe you don't accomplish everything that you had your heart set on, but in the positive experience that was built, you retain more and then ultimately are able to capitalize down the line in the future because the sophomore that's starting for you as a senior didn't drop out because you put the hammer down too hard when he was a sophomore. You, you start to think more holistically like this. Right. Um, and, and then you may not get this, as much, you know, you get that group of 13 seniors that comes through your program. They play everything. Boom, you win 12 games. And then the next right. year you win three because all those juniors didn't play because right. maybe they, they weren't at the same level. But, it, but if, and we did it, and you probably heard me say this, in our, in our year we got second, um, we took a three-year starter at linebacker, um, all-conference player, and we decided we were only going to play him at quarterback because mm -hmm. we thought we, we had depth. And so we played a junior uh, inside linebacker that now graduated or is graduating this year, um, ended up being a, a really good linebacker, uh, started that whole season. Like So he was able to, instead of having to replace five linebackers off of that team, you know, mm -hmm. we graduated 13 seniors off our team that got second. Um, we came back with 11 juniors that also played a ton. Like we had, I think, six or seven junior starters on our defense and nine senior starters on our offense. So, yeah, our offense was a work in progress this year, but we still had a building block because we didn't play those same nine kids on the defensive side. Um, right. Now they did. And like I said, you got to be smart. You know, if it's a, if it's a heavy power run team, then maybe you're going to play your biggest dudes. But if sure. it's a, a spread RPO team, then maybe you're subbing in a different defensive line and you're playing your smaller dudes. And you, you know, so you got to be smart with it. You know, like I said, you don't you don't want to, to jam a round hole in a square peg and, and do something just because someone told you you need to do depth. You've got to figure out those ways on how you're going to create it. And at the beginning, it may only be for a few plays at a time. It may be a series at a time until you feel comfortable. Because that's the other thing I always tell coaches. You can't just take what somebody else is doing in their program, like Nick Saban, and then just jam it into yours and expect it to work. Right. Like you, you have to believe in it, number one. And a lot of coaches have a hard time believing that the best 11 do, don't play. So if you decide you're going to go into this season and say, okay, we're going to start it. Uh, Coach Dixon said, he talked to Jim Davis on April what, 6th, that, that you should have an uh, offense and a defensive line separate. So you go in there and then you get beat by 50 in week one. You're like, well, that was stupid. We're going back to, you know, or whatever. It's like, no. But guess what? Maybe in your mind, you might think, okay, we're going to rotate. We have three tackles. We're going to rotate them in every couple of series. That might be where you start. And then you kind of go from there and figure out what you can accept as a coach, what you can teach your players to be able to accept and believe in. Like our players understand. They understand why we're playing as many guys. They understand why we're subbing them out. Like it's not a secret. They, they right. understand what our expectation is to where – when I ask them and they verbalize it back, they can say it better than I can. I had some do it for a, a presentation. I just gave them some questions and had them uh, answer back on, you know, why do we practice the way we do? Why do we substitute? And their responses were better than I could articulate, but they know That's it. A and, smart they, idea, and, actually. and they respect it. Like our, our big 350-pound yep. nose tackle was a freaking stud, and everyone had to decide whether they were doubling him, running away from him, or what. Now, if we mm -hmm. also played him at tackle, he would have been average at both both spots. But because mm -hmm. we played him at nose, he was an absolute game changer because he was fresh and he he respected it. We didn't we didn't try to condition him down to three hundred and fifteen pounds or whatever. You know, we we sprinted him, we got him faster, 
and then he was able to be just a complete game changer for us. That, that's exactly right, and that kind of kid might be the perfect example when you go back to the physiological thing. How could you possibly build a motor that can make 350 pounds go fast playing every single rep of every single game? That It just it wouldn't work. Yeah. Um, and, and the kid is such a nice kid, and, and as coaches, if we try to make him do something that he can't, then it just it hurts the relationship because then you think all of a sudden that the kid is choosing. But, no, this kid, we got it. I couldn't imagine moving as well as he did at that size. And, yeah. you know, and so it's just – he had a niche. And, and like I said, we, we're good friends with a lot of the teams that we play, obviously. You know, we, we sure. don't have – and they, you know, after the game or even sometimes before, it's like, gosh, we have no clue how we're going to block this guy or whatever, you yeah. know, the scenario is. Um, so he's so, the one you said he's going to go to Quincy? Is that the – Yeah, he, he's going to QU. Um, I think they're actually going to start him on the offensive line. So, hmm. uh, you know, they know the roster. But, yeah, we, yeah. we were able to – but he was another kid. We got in as a freshman. You know, that's another good point. So, he, he's, he wasn't as big as a freshman. Sure. But we were rotating him in. And by the end of that year, um, he was playing in those last two or three games as a freshman. And then as a sophomore, he rotated in. He was never a starter until his junior year. But he was a kid that, because of his size, we were able to use some freshman year, some sophomore year. Um, and then junior and senior, he was able to, to be very and, and that sort of talent evaluation, the, the ripple effect of just being thoughtful as a coach and evaluating the talent and said, maybe this isn't an every down kid, but we can get him four plays a game, five plays a game. The, the spark that Matt, that might light underneath him going into the offseason, going into the next year, you don't know what that means. And it also, it's just not that freaking hard to do. I, we find, especially on D-line, this is my experience, uh, well, D, I love coaching D-line. I did it for years, and it, it was one of the most fun positions to coach because we used to have guys who we, we, you could gear them up psychologically. We had this one kid, Ryo, wonderful kid. We're like, Ryo, you're the tenderizer. Here's your job. You're going to go in two plays in a row. We're never going to ask you to go in more than two plays in a row, uh -huh. and you are going to tenderize the center. You're just going to yeah. – you are yeah. just going to go. You know, <laughs> that's it. Yes. And, and he knew his role, and he got so jacked up, and – and he's on the sideline. He, we almost have to hold him back and pull him off because when the tenderizer goes, he's got one speed. And, you know, yeah. you, you can sort of play into this. And like you mentioned, you, all of a sudden you've got a 140-pound defensive end for whatever the situation is. Fine. But maybe he's fast. And maybe the eight plays a game that he gets, they're probably passing situations. And that kid just gets to unleash whatever he's yep. got. That's yeah, that, and that was the other thing. Like, um, So this year we rotated our big guy a little bit more at tackle. Not that much. But, like, in, it, when we got second that year, when we had a totally new offensive line, um, we would bring this guy in to play, like, guard when we get down near the goal line. He sure. loved it. He's a – it's like you say, like, hey, this is our heavy. We have just have a heavy package. Boom, he'd come running off the field, jacked up, ready to get off the ball. But it's yeah. like, if he was playing guard the whole year, I guarantee you after he got done playing D-tackle, he's not sprinting over there to the offensive huddle getting jacked up to play. No doubt. So, you know, it's it's – it's hard to go against the norm and that's that's kind of where I think track got me down that road and then some yep. of, you know some of these other coaches um, that I've gotten to know have have just kind of convinced me that it's okay if you believe in it you've got to be willing to accept the results and not do what the because I mean you can win playing guys both ways you can I mean you can sure. win you can win so many different ways um, you know not everyone does it the same not everyone runs the same scheme not everyone practices the same you know, and so forth. Um, so you've got to figure out what, what you think helps your team best and live with it and, and be 
be mindful of what other coaches are doing, obviously, to, to, to get improvements. <clears throat> but don't judge your program when you do something based upon what someone else is doing down the street and, or not be willing to do something different because, gosh, I don't know, if we do that, that's um, – and, and you just have to be willing to sometimes take that leap. And for us, we were very fortunate that we had a really good group come that, you know, that we got second with. So it, it, we started this leap towards, you know, our practice adjustment and seven and at the end of their junior year. So like in the fall, the last few games of 2017. So then in 2018, we decided to go all in. So, you know, that might be another thing for coaches to understand, you know, do it in stages, whatever, you know, however you can try to make it work. Cause I answer, you know, a lot of these questions a lot of times and it's just like, you know, I, I can't tell you how to do it with your kids and where you're at. I don't know what your coaches can do. I don't know what your athletes are about. Right. You know, this is what we do because, you know, we've either been forced to do it that way, someone showed us a better way, or we just learned it over time. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't tell you exactly what you need to do, but here's some things you can start with, and then hopefully you can kind of figure it out and, and create it and make it your own. You're exactly right, and you. We all we often call um, we refer to like a coaching fitness, and instead of saying like you know what's the what's the one thing I can do to change my program immediately, or what's the one absolute, what, we we work too often in absolutes. I think. What yeah. Oh yeah. Is uh, a set of tools, and we and this is kind of we've been talking about this a lot today, and or what you just said. Here's five things you can do next week, coaches, but but you've got to take them into your place and evaluate your people. Uh, you mentioned how well can your coaches essentially administer these ideas? How receptive are your kids to these ideas? There's so many contexts to consider that there's no other way to do it than, like you said, keep bringing in good information, be willing to try new things, and then just ask yourself a very simple question. Is it working in the ways that we intended? How do we have to adjust? Um, we could go all day on this, but we're going to have to cap it for now. I got to ask you, are, are you, you still drinking coffee? What do you got there? I just got black coffee. I'm a black coffee guy. I got a Hall of Fame cup from uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I love See, it. I, I just, I just a black coffee guy. We actually got a. My offensive coordinator is the the calculus teacher, so he's got like an industrial pot in his room, and so you know, I'm, I'm doing PE and in between classes, I'll go down and fill up, and so we use a drink, probably a pot and a half to two pots each day. Got a boy. Like it's good fuel. The uh, and you have a. Is there a preferred? type of coffee is there like a local spot you guys go to or uh we actually just had a, a, a place open up right before all this stuff went down that my wife really likes because she's into the, the other types i don't even know what they all are uh, sure. but i just usually get dunkin donuts that's kind of just what i get so duncan's delicious i gotta give a shout out real quick because that's the nature of the show we um remember innkeepers i don't know if we ever went there well, not, i don't think it's as many uh, it's in galesburg Gotcha. Not college, not a lot, uh-huh. not as many students go as I think folks around the town. Although, I, uh, if any students are listening, I highly encourage they go. So I, I, uh, I have a grinder. I ground up some beans, made some innkeeper coffee. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. The um, all right, Brad. Well, thank you for everything, man. Um, I hope we can. Uh, I, I appreciate all that you're doing. I, I mean it when I say I think you're advancing the profession, and I think a lot of kids are going to benefit from it. So. Well, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you doing this um, and trying to share as much stuff as you can, you know, it takes an avenue like this to be able to get information out. So I appreciate that. Do you need business cards? 
Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them's up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards. They do wedding cards. They help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E print, P-R-I-N-T dot com. And on Instagram, same thing, at mightyprint, M-I-T-E print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.